This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we're taking a look at what's happening in North Carolina politics for the week of November 8th, 2021. For the News and Observer and NC Insider, I'm Brian Murphy, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. I'm joined today by the News and Observer's Will Doran, who's been uh, covering redistricting at the Capitol. For this look ahead, I think, Will, we're down to just a few issues. Uh, obviously, the budget, the lawmakers are not going to, to vote on the budget next on this week. They're going to wait um, and, and perhaps have votes next week. Uh, we reported some this week that, you know, lawmakers are getting tired. They're, yeah, they're getting think, tired of being here. I, I think they're getting tired of being here. I think they're getting maybe a little tired of each other. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, they, they got redistricting passed, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but yeah, it seems like maybe they just wanted to take, take a little break uh, before they got back into the budget. Legislative leaders and Governor Cooper have been negotiating back and forth, trying to reach a compromise budget, one that will get signed into law by the governor. I think everybody you talk to says all parties want that. I mean, that, that's really the goal. Everyone's negotiating in good faith. But I think the rank and file members are like, it's it's November. You know, the holidays are right around the corner. Filing deadlines right around the corner. Uh, it's time to get out of here. And if, if, if we can't come to an agreement with the governor, let's just pass our own budget and see what happens. And, and I think we're going to see movement toward that, if not this week, then, then certainly next week. Yeah, I mean, approaching Thanksgiving here, you know, I olden days when I first covered the legislature, you know, back in... 2016, 2017, in that time, like, you know, I remember there was one session we were here in like early October and people were like, oh, this is crazy that we're here in early October. It's never been this long before. And then, you know, here we are talking about like, well, will we need to be here like beyond Thanksgiving or do we think they can get everything done before Thanksgiving? It's pretty crazy. I reported last week that that Senator Berger said that he and the Senate were willing to tack Medicaid expansion into the budget if it meant getting all of their priorities. Uh, the House of Representatives clearly is not going to go for that. So Medicaid expansion is, is off the, the table. Although it sounds like, you know, the governor and the legislative leaders agree on about 90% of the budget. So it's sort of frustrating, I think, to, to workers who are counting on maybe some raises and to, to others. Why can't you nail down that last 10%? But, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about the budget. Wanted to mention a sports wagering bill, which has passed the, the Senate and got a hearing last week in the House. I think it's it's partly they're still here, so they need things to do. Um, so why not maybe get a jump on legislation that, that may be passing next year or maybe getting more consideration next year? It was interesting. Uh, this bill would bring online sports gambling to North Carolina. It passed on the House committee, despite most of the testimony and the questions being anti, you know, an expansion of gambling in the state. Uh, I don't think that bill is going to pass. It. I just don't think there's enough time. But along with medical marijuana, something you've covered, uh, you know, a little more closely than I have, a couple of bills that are kind of floating around out there. Yeah, there's several things that, despite being here longer than really ever, uh, they just weren't able to get around to this year um, for for whatever reason. So yeah, the you know medical marijuana it seemed like it had a lot of momentum uh, this summer and early fall, and then just kind of fizzled out. Uh, so that'll probably have to wait till 2022 to get picked back up. Um, you know, we could, you know, obviously that's 2022 is going to be an election year. So we're probably going to, you know, see some more, you know, kind of red meat issues uh, get debated. But that's getting a little too far ahead for this. Uh, look ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not looking that far ahead. <laughs> we'll talk about redistricting now. And, and that was the big news at the legislature last week. And, and you know, it'll certainly be big news this week as we expect lawsuits to be filed and, and more, uh, you know, 
debate to happen about these districts now that they're they're put into place. We'll find out who might run in some of these districts. I, I think one thing we should at least discuss is the results of, of the Virginia election and the sense that 2022 is going to be a very good year for Republicans. Um, may cloud who decides to run, who doesn't decide to run. And, and now we have uh, maps that favor Republicans. Um, in a year that's going to favor Republicans, may get even more Republicans than you would think from these maps. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, a, a lot of the analysis that uh, that us and other people have been running on these maps has been using 2016 and 2020 election data, both of which were pretty close elections. I mean, you know, people remember back, back to 2016, where Cooper only beat Pat McCrory for governor by like 10,000 votes. It was a fraction of a percent. Uh, Trump won over Clinton that year by three or four percentage points. But, you know, in 2020, Biden narrowed that to one and a half percent that, you know, pretty narrow victory for Trump. Uh, but yeah, I mean, based on, you know, what, yeah, like you said, the Virginia results, uh, you know, even some people have said like New Jersey, uh, even a solid blue state like that was a little close uh, for Democrats. Uh, and yeah, it's usually to be expected. Usually whichever party wins the White House in one year then gets just slaughtered in the midterms the next year. Um, so I think people were definitely expecting somewhat of a Republican wave in 2022, but uh, maybe people are not thinking it's going to be even bigger than expected. And so, yeah, you know, these, you know, we say, oh, you know, this is going to be, you know, look like a 10-4 split in the congressional map, for instance. Uh, but, you know, it, it actually could be 11-3. Uh, <laughs> you know, and we say, oh, you know, the, you know, the state legislative maps will, you know, will guarantee Republicans pretty much a, a majority in the state legislature, but a supermajority might be a little tougher. But if there's a big Republican wave, maybe not. You know, they could get back to a supermajority where they can, you know, then pass whatever they want and not have to worry about the governor vetoing it because they can just override his veto without any Democrats on board. Yeah, you think about how much different this session would be if, if Republicans had a supermajority and, and didn't have to negotiate with the governor on the budget. Let's talk about the congressional map for a second. Uh, obviously, you know, the thing that I think Democrats are pointing to is that the three biggest counties in the in the state, uh, Wake, Mech, and, and Guilford are all split up three ways. Uh, certainly, Wake and Mech would have to have at least two districts in them. Um, Guilford could be self-contained and, and, and grab a portion of another county to, to, to make a, a, a seat as it does right now, and it's held by a Democrat. To me, that stands out as sort of the most egregious choices that were made in making this map. Um, the things, you know, certainly others have pointed to, uh, G.K. Butterfield has pointed to his district, getting Pitt County taken out of it, um, which reduces the number of Black voters in, in that district. Other Democrats have, have complained that there's not really a Sandhills district, and, and certainly the, the district kind of west of Charlotte that seems tailor-made for Speaker of the House Tim Moore. You covered these these maps uh, all last week. What kind of stood out to you about the maps and, and about some of the arguments that were made? Yeah, um, like you said, the, the triad area is definitely um, where, where some of the biggest changes are happening. Um, although, in a sense, it's not really a change because it's just going kind of back to how previous GOP maps in the last decade split up Greensboro. I mean, you know, I think there was the famous example that probably a lot of people remember of NCANT's campus getting split right down the middle, you know, depending on what dorm students lived in, they might be in one congressional district or another one, uh, you know, to kind of split up the predominantly black area of Greensboro there, uh, you know, both on that campus and kind of in the neighborhoods around it. The map this time does not split up ANT like that. Uh, Republicans <laughs> did learn their lesson uh, from the last decade. But uh, 
Greensboro was only whole in a congressional district basically after they lost in court and had a court ruling that said, hey, you need to draw maps that are more favorable to Democrats. And so they played Greensboro in a whole district and that court ruling does not exist anymore. And so they don't have to draw maps that are more favorable to Democrats. So they are splitting up uh, the try it again. I, you know, you've got Forsyth County in, and Winston-Salem is in one district and then Guilford County, which is, you know, where Greensboro and High Point are, those are that area is split into three different districts. So really the triad area is going from one Democratic district represented by Kathy Manning to four Republican districts that all kind of like have these tendrils that, you know, pick up parts of that metro area, but then are mostly dominated by rural areas, whether it's out on the Tennessee border or as far east as Harnett County or down towards the Charlotte suburbs. Um, and that, that's kind of how uh, Republicans solve the, uh, the the Kathy Manning problem, who uh, seems like she is probably uh, not not long for Congress. Uh, yeah, dra- drawn right out of a seat. She's double bunked with Virginia Fox. And, and uh, if you know North Carolina geography, you're saying, how is Virginia Fox and Kathy Manning in the same district? Well, they are. They're on, on opposite ends of a very east-west district. Um, the other, you know, many of our listeners live in, in Wake County and, and yep. the Raleigh area, and, and Wake County got split three ways. And I think Probably the most interesting part of that is, is Southern Wake County and, and specifically Southwestern Wake County, which had some great election results for Republicans last week in the municipal elections, is now in a district that stretches all the way to Guilford. And, and if you live in Holly Springs or Fuquay, uh, you're probably thinking, what do I have in common with people in Guilford County? But but you're going to have a congressperson in common. Yeah, the, the triangle is interesting. So the, the congressional map uh, of the 14 seats, it would only have three that could be considered potentially competitive. Uh, Most of the seats are gonna be just decided in the primary probably, but there are three seats that would be potentially competitive. Two of them are in the triangle. Um, So, you know, voters who want more competitive races and live in this area, and you know, maybe they're happy about that. Um, One of those, as you mentioned previously, is GK Butterfield's district, which kind of hits the the Northern edge of the triangle and a lot of the counties that kind of border, uh, you know, Durham and Wake County and then stretches East. Uh, out towards Greenville. Um, That's going to be a competitive district. Um, And then you also have uh, another competitive district kind of centered around Johnston County and Fayetteville that could really go either way. Um, So that'll definitely be one to watch. Uh, You know, any Johnston County residents who want to run in that or, you know, Harnett County folks, I mean, that's a a great opportunity uh, for that area. Um, Yeah, there's the the Southwestern Wake District uh, that, yeah, stretches over to Greensboro, you know, and then you have, you know, some just really solidly democratic leading districts too. You know, one kind of based around Raleigh and one kind of based around Durham and Chapel Hill. I was actually talking with uh, a Republican state senator, Jim Perry uh, from Kinston, who's on the redistricting committee about that strategy you mentioned, kind of breaking up the, the big metro areas more than they need to be. And like you said, Greensboro and Guilford County is small enough. It doesn't need to be split at all. And it's split three ways. Um, and then, you know, both Raleigh and Charlotte and their counties only need to be split once, but into two districts, but they're split into three districts. Um, But what Senator Perry said was, you know, hey, look at it this way. That's more horsepower for those areas in Congress. You know, you got more votes up there for bringing, you know, projects and grants back to, you know, those to Charlotte and to Raleigh. And, uh, you know, not it's not the case with Greensboro because that area would be solidly Republican congressional delegation. But both uh, Raleigh and Charlotte would probably expect to have both you know, Democrats and Republicans representing them in Congress. And so whichever party's in power, you're guaranteed at least somebody in the majority party. So that was kind of the, the GOP argument for splitting up those big areas more than you need to is, hey, 
they shouldn't be complaining. You know, <laughs> we're actually helping them out. It's an, it's an interesting argument. And, and I heard it made the converse way um, that these rural districts that, that I think a Democrat made this argument that you're actually hurting these rural districts because all of the money for the elections, much of the population for the elections is going to come from these, these large metro areas. And as such, uh, maybe some of the rural interests that should be getting attention are going to get less attention. Uh, and so, you know, the arguments cut both ways on, on all these issues. I think um, I want to move to the, to the state house and the state Senate, but uh, one of the things I'm going to be watching for is who does run in four, which is an open seat uh, centered around Johnson County, who does run in seven, which is an open seat uh, that stretches from Southwestern Wake all the way to Guilford. And then uh, I think almost everybody in the world thinks Tim Moore is going to run in, in 13, the new 13, um, which is centered around Cleveland County, his home county. But it will be interesting to see, you know, where people decide to run and, and other people who were already running uh, are no longer in the district that they thought they were going to be in. Charles Graham, for instance, uh, from Robinson County, Republican Sandy Smith, who gave G.K. Butterfield an actually a close race uh, in 2020, much closer than I think anyone thought. Um, it was only a five point race. Um, has been making noise that she's going to run again against uh, G.K. Butterfield. Uh, and in a Republican year, you think maybe she, in a district that leans even more Republican, uh, maybe she would have a chance. Her district is in, her, her home is in Pitt County, um, which is uh, the vast majority of which is no longer in G.K. Butterfield's district. So it'll be interesting to see, of course, in the, in the Congress, you don't need to live in your district, which you do need to live in, in the state Senate and state House, uh, which brings us to that conversation uh, you certainly covered uh, the ins and outs of, of those a lot more. What stood out to you about about either the House or, or the Senate and the way they finished up? Yeah, it, it was. It, it's a little bit uh, more constrained, I, I guess is maybe the right word. Uh, There's than, a lot less flexibility for lawmakers. Exactly, um, and we don't need to go into like all the really complicated legal decisions that have led to that. But basically, with congressional maps, you. They've got to all be the same population, but you can draw them however you like. You can split up counties and cities if you feel like it. But with the state legislative maps, uh, you're kind of restricted in the like the ways that you can or can't split up counties in different areas of the state. Um, and Republicans have pointed to that legal precedent. You know, they're saying, look, this isn't something we made up. This is something the Supreme Court has said. And it means basically that, you know, we're going to have a little bit of this geographic advantage because, you know, the maps have to respect, you know, certain geographic areas of the state. And, you know, a lot of the rural areas of the state are just super bright red. Um, and so that's what you, what we've heard Republicans point to. Um, I think the big thing to watch, probably as we see some lawsuits get filed over this and, you know, just the, the fights that go on, is really the, the suburban areas um, and kind of the smaller cities. You know, obviously the, the central areas of Raleigh and Charlotte, Durham and Greensboro are going to elect Democrats no matter what, but kind of the, the suburban areas around those and then the, the smaller cities, uh, you know, places like Wilmington, Fayetteville, Greenville, those are going to be really interesting to see. Uh, you know, a, a lot of those places flipped blue in 2018 uh, with the blue wave and now 2022, maybe we'll have a red wave. Uh, that could flip them back. And, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you see the maps probably helping out a little bit there. Uh, you know, the in Southwest Wake County, um, that, you know, that area used to be really dominated by Republicans, um, really as recently as 2018. And then, and then it just turned all blue. Um, and the Wake County delegation in the state legislature is almost all Democrats right now. There's one Republican. 
Um, but we're seeing, you know, these districts in both the House and the Senate could probably lead to Republicans picking up several seats in, in Wake County, several seats in Mecklenburg County. And what that means is that even in a 50-50 election, Democrats would probably have basically no chance of taking back a majority in the state legislature, and especially not if it is a strong Republican year. I mean, these maps seem to indicate, and, and all the outside analysis is, has pointed to it, that th- that Republicans are going to expand their majority. Uh, if they get a great year like, like 2022 is shaping up to be, they could really expand their majority. But you look at some of the bigger counties, and I think you know that's where Republicans, if you want to say, did a good job of drawing districts where they're never going to win the majority of the seats in Wake and Mac. But if you can win one or two of those seats, you know, that, that's a loss for the Democrats. And you've, you've sort of expanded your majority that way. Not to mention, you know, some of these rural districts have lost population. 51 counties in North Carolina lost population in the last decade. Some of those have had to stretch and, and get larger um, to, to soak up more population in both the set in all three maps, but but particularly in the state house map. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, there's a dozen or so districts around the state where you're seeing um, pretty much all it's all rural Republicans double bunked with each other because of exactly that. Uh, because the population in those areas have shrunk so much, is going from saying okay, like these ten counties get to split three seats in the state senate. Now they only get to split two seats, and so they lost a seat. And so one of those state senators is. Out of a job all of a sudden and so you know and what that means is that the the urban areas are gaining more seats but while the rural seats are getting bigger geographically the urban seats are getting smaller geographically so that that helped republicans kind of hone in on some of the urban areas and say oh okay you know since the seats here are smaller now you know we don't have to worry about you know picking up all the Democratic voters in this part of Raleigh or this part of Charlotte, we can actually kind of more, you know, it, it's easier to draw a district just around the more Republican-leaning suburbs without, you know, picking up any of the, the parts of the city. Um, so, yes, Republicans will be losing some people in the rural areas because those areas are shrinking, but at the same time, they could also be kind of getting back some of their losses uh, in the in the suburbs. We'll end with this. Uh, This is a look ahead podcast. We're looking ahead to 2022 in in a lot of ways. But what we saw during the Trump years is that Republicans got demolished in the suburbs. Uh, You know, the the, the urban core has always been blue, but, you know, the rest of Wake County turned blue. The rest of Mech turned blue, as we've talked about. Uh, What we saw a little bit in Virginia is is, and and we're seeing in some of these municipal elections is is that that suburban ring is sort of getting redder in some places and turning red in some places. And so one of the things I'm looking at, and it's, it's hard to really like drill down on this with the maps having just passed, but how many of those suburban suburban districts, the, the ring around the core, will Republicans be able to turn? Because if they can turn a lot of them, then, then we could see a, a very different type of legislature than if uh, that if uh, Democrats can hold on to those suburban gains. And, and of course, you know, suburban voters are sort of the holy grail. And they do seem to be the ones who are flipping back and forth. As, as if you look at the last decade, you know, maybe they voted for Obama, then they may have voted for Trump, then they got away from Trump. And uh, now they're voting for Glenn Young in, in, in Virginia. It does seem like those suburban voters are really up for grabs. And it'll be interesting if some of the issues that may have been motivators in Virginia come to North Carolina and what and, and the accelerant that these maps put on there. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it, it is hard to kind of separate the two, you know, like on, on the one hand, you have 
the changing maps. On the other hand, you have the issues <laughs> and the actual energy of voters, and you know they they work in tandem together. Uh, so you know it'll probably be impossible to you know to exactly point to one thing or another. But um, I, you know I'm sure we'll we'll see folks do their best to uh, to try to pick out. And we'll end with this. We expect lawsuits about all three of these maps. Um, unclear if those lawsuits will affect filing, if they'll affect the, the March primary. I, I mean, I would say it's, there's a better than 50-50 chance that these are the maps that, that we're using in 2022. Yeah. Um, candidate filing is only a month from now. It's early December. Um, and that's because the primaries are in March. Uh, Democrats had suggested pushing back the primaries to May, which we actually had until pretty recently. Um, we had the primaries in May. Uh, Republicans were not interested in that. One of the lawsuits that has already been filed asks for that same thing, to, to push back the primary, kind of give more time to draw the maps um, under a, you know, a new set of rules <laughs> that you know, the, the NAACP would prefer uh, that they've laid out in their lawsuit. Um, but it, it is a really fast turnaround. Um, I mean, the court system does not move quickly in this country. Um, and you know, looking at an election that, you know, starts in less than six months with a primary in March, uh, you know, I, I don't know that any lawsuit would necessarily be able to uh, to stop at least uh, the 2022 elections from working under these maps. It's possible. Um, you know, we saw in 2019, actually, those, those lawsuits in 2019 moved really quickly um, and did result in new maps before the 2020 elections. So it's not out of the question, but it would be... Uh, you know, it would require the courts to move with a, a certain sense of urgency that they don't always have. Well, Will, thankfully, is uh, our court reporter. So he'll be following all these lawsuits uh, at the News and Observer. For Will Doran, I'm Brian Murphy. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Under the Dome. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.